We will now be reading the scriptures from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. Let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's word. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him, Jesus, in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This is God's word. Would you now prepare your hearts for the preaching of God's word? Got to raise this up just a little bit. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We come to, it's, it's uh, hard to overestimate, the most crucial part of Mark's gospel, of every gospel that's ever been written or spread. Mark's gospel culminates here at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But I'd like for us to take plenty of time today to worship and soak in. Mark wants to show us It's not just that Jesus got crucified and killed at the cross. It's not just that the perfect sinless son of God was tortured and expired at the cross. He got killed all along the way to the cross by insults, humiliation, abuse, injustice, And what we entitle it today, Mockery, the Mockery of Jesus. I don't think I could do justice to this, but we're going to try in these 16, 17 verses. Please follow along in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15 as I'm going to go almost verse by verse. Pastor Daniel read starting at verse 16, but I'd like to begin at verse 15. Where it reads, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released from them 
Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate, out of political fear, gave away someone who had murdered people, Barabbas. That was the exchange to appease the Jewish religious elite. And he was scourged or flogged. Uh, Ancient records will tell you that some people died just from the flogging. Because this is not just whipping across your back at the end of the rope, that heavy, thick rope is a large animal bone or a jagged stone that would just tear out chunks of flesh. And Jesus was flogged so many times that we do read later that he was so bloodied and weakened he could not carry his own cross. Most likely just the horizontal beam, the horizontal part, he was so gone, almost far gone that he could not carry it. Now let's look at verses 16 through 20. Trace these verses with me as they are projected overhead. A battalion was gathered together. A battalion is one-tenth of a Roman legion. Legion are 6,000 soldiers, so that's 600 soldiers gathered together. That's not a small crowd. That is this room packed out and overflowing. 600 soldiers in this room. Inside this palatial residence, all ganging up upon this one lonesome Jesus. They dressed him in royal purple as an act of mockery, only to treat him like a clown. They hoisted upon his head a crown of thorns. If you've ever gone to Israel, you will see the actual kinds of thorns that must have pierced his head, large and stiff. And I'd like for us to imagine how loud, you might say how uniform and spirited was the yelling, the taunting, the jeering, the joking. Mark tells us he was struck with the reed upon the head. Luke, a medical doctor in chapter 22, tells us that he was actually blindfolded and beaten barefisted. I'll never forget my old professor telling me that if you're blindfolded, you cannot see where the blows come from. You are wholly unprepared, so you take the full force of bare fists. These verses you read that he was spat upon. I don't know if you've ever been spit upon. Yeah, it smells. It's degrading. You feel like, no, I don't deserve that. And then Mark tells us that they were all kneeling. Of course, they're play acting. This is all part of the mockery of Jesus. Then they tore off his cloak. You know, the blood on Jesus' lacerated back must have hardened. And so when you tear off that cloak, it rips off more flesh. And then they reclothed him. And then according to Mark's brief account, it is then that they led him away to be crucified. 
We pick up here at verse 24. Then at the cross, verse 24 reads, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Jesus was stripped naked, completely naked, because they were gambling for his clothes down below. The reasoning behind that was to strip this criminal of all dignity, to splay him out in public as a spectacle for prolonged mockery. Look at verse 26, reads, And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. Oh, the king of the Jews. You do know that this was not sincere in the least. But it was ironic. Somehow in the orchestration of God, it did read the king of the Jews. Verses 29 and 30. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Random, random bystanders. I mean, just random average people on the street. You know, people just gather if there's a commotion, if an ambulance comes or if there's an accident. Just random average Joes came by and they also heaped upon him mockery. Notice the detail that Mark says, wagging their heads, wagging their heads. I mean, this is marital counseling 101. You do know that it's not just what you say and the content or the tone with which you say it, but also our body language communicates just as much too, right? Our body language, oh boy, those can start and continue a lot of fights, right? Rolling your eyes. Don't do that. (laughs) Exasperated sighs. Turning away. No, Mark says these people were just shaking, wagging their heads in derision. Look at verses 31 and 32. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So, Random people passing by, heaped upon mockery. Then you have the religious, sophisticated, educated, powerful leaders. Religious. The most orthodox, the most conservative in their day. Paragons of virtue. I mean like public citizens, respectable. They could run for office. These were the religious conservatives of their day, at the top of their class. What did they do? They insult Jesus with the theological challenge. Oh, you say you're you're the Christ? Oh, you say you're God? Why don't you come down right now? And then just to top it all off, those crucified with him. You have to be convicted as the worst of criminals in Jesus' day to be crucified. They also join in the mockery. You run out of words and descriptions because they fail us of what was done to Jesus. 
all that could have been possibly done to Jesus. No movie could capture it. By soldiers, the military, law enforcement, the tough guys. By random average spectators. By the educated, sophisticated, powerful religious leaders. And by despised, condemned criminals. All in total speak and act out against Jesus. Now why does Mark spell this out? Why does Mark want us to see and know this? Why is this significant part of Jesus' own story and then the gospel, which means good news for us? First, I believe the mockery of Jesus is shown for its universality. I think Mark is painting a portrait to show this is all of us. It's universal. It's everyone. Nothing's changed in this respect. If you grew up around locker rooms playing any sports, of all the words in the English vocabulary, of all the names people could choose as a convenient substitute for cursing, what is it? What is it? And can I just make a pastoral plea on this one? I am not saying this is the worst or unforgivable of sins. I'm just saying it's highly offensive to hear a Christian do this. In any venue, any context, any situation. To take the very name of Jesus Christ and use it as... I assure you the most effective way to be very socially incorrect politically incorrect, and to clear out most parties, most social gatherings, political, economic, or business meetings is this. Just try it. Bring up Jesus and praise him. Has much changed? How about in the academy? How about those of you who have all so well studied? Anne Rice, the author of Interview with a Vampire, one day set out to write a novel about Jesus, and like any good novelist, you got to study the historical scholarship or the background, all the studies that's been done about Jesus. Quote, here is what she found. I discovered so many of them devoted their life to New Testament scholarship. These are the people who got PhDs in studying the New Testament, the 27 books of the Bible, dislike Jesus. Some pitied him as a helpless failure. Others sneered at him. Some showed outright contempt. And Rice goes on to say she had never come across this in any other field of study or research. I mean, think about it. How many topics or people do you go and study because right from the start you hate that person? But yet, in the studies of Jesus, this is what is occurring pervasively. This not only stunned and Rice, but she actually became a Christian. The mockery of Jesus, the mockery of Jesus, it's shown for its universality. The mockery of Jesus is also shown for its intensity, its intensity. Well, what for? Because Jesus helped and healed people? Of course not. That's the part people love about him. Because Jesus was inclusive, approachable, people love that about him. He was the most intelligent, mind-blowing Succinct preacher, teacher who ever lived. 
People admire that about him. Was it because he was a model of integrity and morality? No. That's inspiring. Listen to the content of the mockery. Listen to the words that are used to mock Jesus. You claim to be king, Lord, Christ, Savior, but look at you now. Jesus is mocked ultimately for his messianic claims. Jesus is mocked because he claimed to be God. He had come down to save the world. He had promised, I'm going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. But now, Jesus, we look upon you hanging there, humiliated, defeated. No, I think all you deserve is our mockery. And so, you know, I'll tell you, Jesus just gets it from every side, every angle, above and beneath, behind him, every which way you can attack him. I assure you, Jesus got attacked. You see, our mockery is a reflection of our natural reactionary hearts towards the greatness of Jesus, towards the divinity of Jesus. That's a natural reaction. Why? Because you want to be in charge. You want to call what's right versus wrong. You don't want to be held accountable. Do you really, do you really want to be held accountable on all those business dealings? Do you really want to be held accountable for everything that you've done? Oh, well, Jesus claims to be God. That means he knows everything. That means he is going to judge me. There's a judgment day underneath this, this man. So we heap mockery upon him. Oh, on the flip side, our mockery shows our contempt toward his full and frail humanity. You see how appalling, how despicable, how ugly. I don't know if some of you could stomach watching the movie or movies. How shameful and mutilated. Here's what Jesus likens his enemies to. They're like little children who can never, ever be pleased. Our mockery happens. It's universal and it is intense. And it's just not going to stop. And it really doesn't depend upon who Jesus is or what he does. It really depends on who we are and what we've done. I find this incredibly prescient of every shifting progressive culture. And kind of the social momentum that is swinging. We always just swing back and forth, back and forth. There's nothing new under the sun. But Jesus predicted it here. Every culture, every generation is going to just find new ways. They think it's new though. But it's very simple. They just want to hate and oppose and defy Jesus. Enemies find ways to argue. Jesus can do no right no matter what he does. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong now. Listen to me loud and clear. All wrongs, crimes, abuses done in Jesus' name must be called out, must be repented of. Certain people should just move off of pastoral leadership, never do it again, and we must seek justice. All wrongs that are done in Jesus' name are not acceptable, excusable. In fact, you have a God who will really take care of all of that. But in doing no wrong, which Jesus did no wrong, he gets mocked for failing to deliver, refusing to perform, play the right tunes, a genie on demand. 
Jesus is mocked because he does not fulfill anyone's expectations, agendas, timelines, social, political, economic, or religious vision and checklists, except his own Father in heavens. So think about this with me this morning. If Jesus is mocked because you think he aims too high, you claim to be God, you claim to be the judge of the universe, you claim to be my maker, you mock him for that, equally certainly, he is mocked because he fell so low. Jesus started off humble, he started off too ordinary. He started off too, too ordinary and attractive, and then he just ended up worse on the cross. This is contemptible. This is what Marx wants us to see today. Before Jesus got killed at the cross, he was getting killed with mockery. Now, are you aware of or do you hear your own mockery in your heart? You cannot repent of anything you're not even aware of. Are you aware of and do you hear the mockery in your own heart? Here's how it usually happens. When something awful happens at work, you feel overlooked, you feel slighted, you feel it's unfair. Or your family or friendship relationships just blow up. Or you get that awful report from the doctor. Or in business, it just seems like, wow, I cannot catch a break. Everything just keeps going wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong. When this happens, do you not hear something rising up in your heart that goes like this? God, if you're really God, if you're really my Savior, if you're really good and loving, why would you let me go through this? Do you not sense the universe, universality and intensity of this? God, if, shouldn't you be stronger? Shouldn't you be more caring? Shouldn't you be more loving? And I think what Mark is doing is showing their mockeries and exposing ours to show the most subversive gospel of all. Did you notice in the sermon trailer, the theme is an unexpected savior Here's where it culminates. Here is the most subversive gospel of all. For every one and every time we have said, oh, if you are truly God and Savior, you would do this. You know that you do echo the very words of those who said, God, you certainly can't be doing something good or saving the world through something as ugly as this. But he was. But God was. God did. Those who saw the greatest redemptive thing that God ever did or ever will do. Yeah, quote me on that. That's from the scriptures. The greatest demonstration of redemption that God will ever do. They just looked at it. They're all confused. Minds blown. And they dismiss it because it wouldn't fit their categories. Have you? Do you? Don't I? 
You see, right now, are you looking at something awful, ugly, painful, despicable, annoying, burdensome, hard, traumatic, and you look at that very thing and you are saying to yourself, there is no way God could be doing something good or trying to save me through this. Now, here's how Jesus took it all. How did Jesus endure it all? Mark tells us Jesus became so weak he could not carry his own cross. And he actually gives you the name of the man. I wonder why they put names in here because they were still alive. These are citations. These are living footnotes. These are like academic verifications. Go check it out. He's the father of so-and-so. Go, go ask him. He carried the cross. I'm not making this up. It's not like a fantasy. And then it actually even tells us that Jesus refused the wine to dull the excruciating pains even while he hung upon the cross. How did Jesus take it all? <clears throat> he refused the wine to dull the pain only to end up asphyxiating? How did he take it? What drove him to take it all? I think it's captured best by uh, an older Christian singer who summarizes scripture by asking the question, why did they nail his feet and hands? Why did they nail his feet and hands? Answer, his love would have held him there. Why did they even bother nailing the feet and hands of Jesus to the cross? His love would have held him there. That's how Jesus took it all. For the love of you. For the love of me. For the love of people who mock him. For the love of people who are careless and cynical about him. For the love of people who are indifferent to him. For the love of people who are radically arrogant. For the love of people who are coasting, no matter what happens in your life, you always interpret it as, ah, it'll all get better. Why? Why do you think that? For the love of God held him there. John 15 says, greater love is no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And here is what we're trying to learn and study today. Jesus didn't just lay down his physical body for his friends. Jesus didn't just give up his mutilated suffering body so that our sins could be forgiven. Do you know what else he gave up? Do you know what he also gave up? He gave up his name. He gave up his reputation. You see, Jesus lived in an ancient culture filled with shame. An ancient Near Eastern culture. And in cultures of shame, your name or having a good family name is almost everything. That's what you live on. Like, that determines your future, your business opportunities, if you could get married and who you can marry. So to destroy your name is like death. And here comes along crucifixion, one of the worst forms of execution, where the Romans thought, we're not going to just go after killing your body, we're going to make sure we destroy your name. 
This is why Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, taking the very voice and words of Jesus at the cross, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So, my friends, Jesus didn't just give up his body to cover and forgive you of all your sins. He gave up his name so that you would feel less and less and less and less ashamed. You don't know the whole gospel yet. If all you do is know your sins are forgiven, but down in here, you still feel so ashamed. You know, it's because you might have a parent. You might have a sibling. You might have a family member who brought dishonor and disrepute to your family name. People talk about him or her. They still talk about him and her. You're embarrassed to bring that name up. That's how shame cultures work. But what if Jesus were to become your brother? What if God himself were to become your father? What if they could bestow upon you a family name that is to be esteemed into forever and ever and ever and ever? What if Jesus, as your older brother, takes you and says, you are mine, you belong to my family, you carry my name, Christian, and you are to be perfected and glorified forever with my father and here's how the gospel sets you free to feel less and less and less ashamed because it's not dependent upon your good or bad name it all depends upon the name of jesus do you know that the only most courageous people in this world that will make a difference in the world is because you do know it's not about your name you've already been defined and loved and justified on the perfect name of Jesus Christ. You know, there's an altogether different point of view at the cross. It's captured in these lyrics of a pretty well-known song. I want to read it, read it for us. This is an altogether different point of view of Jesus on the cross. Look at this. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. Ah. Of all the voices and mockery and enemies of Jesus at the cross, here's one. Here's one that stands apart. And I want to ask you this morning, is this you? Can you hear these words playing in your heart and mind? Do you identify with these words? Does it move your heart? Oh, then I'll tell you, this gospel that's called the good news, it's working in you right now. I'll tell you, if you can relate with these words, 
Jesus Christ himself who died on the cross is calling you and loving you because he died for you. His Holy Spirit right now is moving to join you into a chorus of worshiping Jesus. The worship of Jesus that will never stop. No longer the mockery of Jesus. Right right now, right here, if you turn and you trust in Jesus that he took your sin so that he might give you his righteousness. He took your place, took all the mockery and humiliation, and he took your bad name to give you a name and all your sins forgiven. I assure you, you get the approval, the applause, the adoration, the esteem, the pleasure, the infinite, infinite, infinite delight and love. Of God himself. And then, and then, I really, really believe, I assure you, it works. And then when you experience that, listen, when you experience the infinite approval, perfect acceptance of God, what people say or think about you matters much less. And in fact, into eternity, It's going to matter this much. Do you know how long eternity is? How short this lifespan is compared to that? And that's why the New Testament authors say, our affliction, our troubles, your weight, your suffering right now, nothing. You cannot, don't compare this, although it's real, to that. What's up ahead? And you get it even now. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3, 1. My friends, Jesus was mocked. He was mocked viciously. He was mocked universally. He was mocked intensely. He was mocked so you can take it all for you. Take away not only all your sins, but all your shame. This is the gospel. This is why we worship him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power and the riches of your word, of your gospel, and your spirit. I pray now you would bring some. You would bring some. Call their name. So you would give them your very name. Call sinners who are weakened and down, who feel like they have nowhere to go. Lift their heads and give them forgiveness. Oh Lord, call all those of us who are steeped in darkness and suffering now. We cannot understand why something awful and painful and ugly would be happening. So I pray you would bring us to the foot of the cross and see Jesus who hung there for us because his love held him there. May your love, O Lord, your love cast out fear. Your love set us free. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.